Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh, and I want to thank you for joining me. I am so glad that you are listening in today. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. Well, I'm going to start with a story that uh, is a funny story. I think it might have been funnier as when I was a Boy Scout and a teenager, uh, but I think you may get at least a little laugh out of it. It's a story of the water closet and the wayside chapel, and it goes like this. There's an English lady who, uh, while she was vacationing in Switzerland, she just fell in love with a particular small town and the surrounding countryside, and she asked a local schoolmaster if they knew of any houses with rooms to rent that were close to the town but out in the country still, and so the, the schoolmaster drove her out to see a house with a room to rent, and she loved the house and decided to rent the room, and then the lady returned home to England to make her final preparations to begin the move to Switzerland. When she arrived back home, the thought occurred to her that she had not seen a W.C. A no W.C. in the room or even down the hall, and W.C. is an abbreviation for the term water closet, which is an old English way of describing a toilet, a bathroom. So she immediately wrote to the schoolmaster and asked where the, where the W.C. is located. Well, the schoolmaster had never heard of, and when we got the letter, he read the, the initials WC, and he'd never heard of a WC before. And he tried as hard as he could to think what the initials could mean. And eventually, he thought perhaps that she meant a, maybe a wayside chapel. That sounds like a very English thing. And so she, he thought that perhaps the lady was asking about a country church near her home to attend. And so the schoolmaster replied, writing about the wayside chapel, when she really meant the water closet. And his letter goes like this. Mrs. Smith, I look forward to your move regarding your question about the location of the WC. The closest WC is situated only two miles from the room that you have rented, in the center of a beautiful grove of pine trees. The WC has a maximum occupancy of 229 people, but not that many people usually go on weekdays. I suggest you plan to go on Thursday evenings when there is a sing-along. The acoustics are remarkable, and the happy sounds of so many people echo all through the WC. Sunday mornings are extremely crowded. The locals tend to arrive early and, bring, and many bring their lunches to make a day of it. Those who arrive just in time can usually be squeezed into the WC before things start, but not always. It's best to go early if you can. It may interest you to know that my own daughter was married in the WC, and it was there that she met her husband. I remember how everyone crowded in to sit close to the bride and groom. There were two people to a seat or ordinarily occupied by one, but our friends and family were happy to share. I will admit that my wife and I particularly felt relieved when it was all over. We were truly wiped out. Because of my responsibilities in town, I can't go as often as I used to. In fact, I haven't been in over well, well over a year, and I can tell you I really miss regularly going to the W.C., Let's plan on going together for your first visit. I can reserve us seats where you will be seen by all. <laughs> what a story, especially if you're confusing his description of a wayside chapel for a bathroom. 
It's an amazing confusion that initials can make. Now, perhaps you think, that's a pretty terrible joke, Pastor Josh. I, I hope it gave you a laugh. Interestingly enough, that chapel, Wayside Chapel, or church in the joke, it's easy to be thought of as a building or a location. And it's amazing how so many of us think of the church as a place you go to or an activity you participate in on Sunday mornings, like a worship service. Did you go to church today? I'm sure you've said that to someone at some point in your life or had someone ask you if you went to church. We so easily talk about the place or the worship service. However, the church is not a building. It is the assembly of the people of God, the followers of Christ. You who are Christians, you are the church. Sam Albury writes these words, People don't enter a church, the church enters a building. Now lately, the church has fallen out of favor with many people. Our consumer culture has made many of us church shoppers. We want to We want the place we go to satisfy, to tickle our fancy, to suit our style, to make us feel special. You name it, and people will demand it from a church. Now, it's not not wrong to want our churches to strive for excellence and to meet the needs of as many people as possible, but too often we are rating the church as a product. And we we can only continue to think of the church as a product if we separate it from ourselves. There's me. And then there's that church over there, but it doesn't work that way. We are the church. Now, sometimes the church is out of favor because of missteps and moral failures among church leaders and congregations, and has left a bad taste in many of our mouths. Understandably, we should be greatly disturbed for failings, and we should be greatly disturbed by toxic communities. And sometimes the best thing you can do in a terrible situation like that is to move on or, re- or remove the offenders. But again, I suspect that too often we think of that church and how it offends us rather than realizing that I am the church too. Once you realize that you are the church, it is hard to maintain a take-it-or-leave-it attitude. When we see the church as people not as something we can shop for or throw away, then you and I, then in that moment, when we finally realize it's us, we can roll up our sleeves and do the good, hard work of restoring and growing and enjoying and being the church. Richard Dahlstrom writes these words, What God is doing requires a symphony, not soloists. It's a group, a gathered group of people. Remember, The church is God's design and God's choice for how the believer is to grow in maturity and carry out God's plan. So, over the next three weeks, I want to talk with you about the church and three urgent directives, commands, that are laid out in the letter to the Hebrews about the job of the church. The text that will be the basis for the next three weeks can be found in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25, and in those verses... Uh, we can find three commands. So, let's go there now and read that text in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, 
and all the more as you see the day approaching. There is a phrase repeated throughout that passage of Scripture, let us. And that gives us three urgent directives to hang on to. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. And let us spur one another on. These directives are fairly concrete tasks. They're a to-do list, if you will. But I warn you, do not simply ask yourself how you're doing in these tasks. Instead, ask how you are joining, joining the rest of the church in these tasks. So, we're going to look at the let us phrases from Hebrews 10. And yes, I'll address how these calls to action will fit into your life individually. But we must remember the real power of the command is when the church, when the community of Christians work together. So, let's go back to Hebrews 10 again and read that first directive. It's Hebrews 10 verse 22. Listen for that command. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. So, that's the first command. Let us draw near to God. The Christian is given the privilege of being able to get close to God. We can get to know Him. We can grow in our relationship with Him. Drawing near, getting close, and approaching God is a repeated theme in the letter to the Hebrews, and one that each person, every believer, is urged to do. And all people are urged to draw near to God, but before you receive Christ, you're not able to draw near. There's seven places in the letter to the Hebrews that describe drawing near. Now, we're not going to read them, but I will list the references depending on, and depending on your translation, you'll see the words draw near, or perhaps you'll see other words like approach, or come to, or come towards, or draw close to, etc. So, I'm going to list those verses off. You can look at them in your own time, but you'll find them in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. Hebrews chapter 7 again, verse 25. Chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 22, which we just read. And a sixth one can be found in chapter 11, verse 6. All six of those talk about us either being able to draw near to God or that we cannot draw near because of sin. Now, there's a seventh text that mentions that phrase, draw near, but it's different, but we need to hear it. It's part of our text that we've already read today. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And instead of us drawing near to God, it's about something else that is drawing near to us. And that something else is called the day. We're to keep on doing the job of the church as long as the day approaches. And what is that day? Well, it's the final day. And some say it's judgment day, which I think it is. And others say it's the earth's last day, or it could be your last day on this earth. There's a whole lot of last days that we can experience, but there's, for all of us, a final moment. A moment which afterwards, there can be nothing else done to grow, to, to decide for Christ, to be a part of the church. So, as long as that day approaches, as long as it hasn't arrived yet, keep doing these things. That's the message. So, as long as we haven't reached that final day, the church has a job to do. And let us draw near 
Uh, that's the command we're given. Let us draw near to God. So as long as we still have a day on this earth, we're to draw near to God. And what's interesting is that let us draw near is rendered in the present tense. So as long as it is this current moment, we must keep on drawing near. It's a continual process that we do over and over and over again. It is the job of the church to draw near to God. And we're to work at this all the time. We are all drawing near to something. That's something we need to realize right now. I'm talking about drawing near to God, but if you're not drawing near to God, you're probably drawing near to something else. And the question is, is what are you drawing near to? Two. So, I want to bring to light a few postures or traveling directions that you and I have to face sometimes. If we're not drawing near to God, where else are we going? And the first one is this. If we're not drawing near to God, we could be drawing near to ungodly things. Now, when you hear the word ungodly, I'm sure you hear the word sinful. And there are all kinds of things in this world that we know to be sinful, and we pursue them anyway. As long as we walk towards sin... We are unable to draw near to God. Now, many of you who are listening, you know you're struggling with sin. There's something that you haven't been able to let go of. If you're drawing near to it, you cannot draw near to God. You will always be limited by your walk towards that sin. You must ruthlessly root out that which is unholy from your life. You, we cannot make ourselves clean. We cannot pay for our own sin, but it is up to us to go and sin no more after we've received Jesus. Think for a moment of the entertainment you consume. Think of the way you spend your time. Think of the dreams you're chasing. Do not be the person who spends their best years, their best energy, their best efforts drawing near to anything else but God and God alone. So, that first direction we can draw near to ungodly things. Another traveling direction, or maybe it's not really a direction at all, it's we can become paralyzed. Some people become so overwhelmed that they stop, they freeze, they give up, they hold steady and they don't move. Whether it's fear or shame or being nervous about what might happen if they make the wrong choice, there are many people who become stuck. I don't know if it's so much paralyzed, but there are a lot of people who choose to stay put spiritually. They like the current comfort they feel. They think they've got to figure it out. Okay, I can handle this. I'm not, I can keep doing this as long as I could possibly want, but I can't stretch myself and keep doing this. And so we stay put because we're comfortable. Let me warn you, comfort never lasts. Ask anyone who's a senior citizen. Eventually, something in your home, your family, or your body will start to change. And what you thought was perfectly comfortable and all situated will begin to come apart. And it will no longer be a place that you want to stay in. When life falls apart, that's the time you want to be able to lean on years of drawing near to God. It's not the time when you want to start figuring out how to draw near to him for the first time. You can, and he will meet you, and he will be there with you. But if you spend a lifetime drawing near to God, when everything starts falling apart, you've got that, all those years saved up, ready to face the tough moments. Do not let yourselves become paralyzed out of fear, 
out of shame, out of something that might happen if you make a wrong choice. And don't let yourself become paralyzed or stuck because you're comfortable. So we can't stay put. Now, third direction, third traveling direction. If people are not drawing near to God, they might be known for running from stuff. Some of you are desperately running from something. Lots of people run from a past that they're ashamed of or an old hurt done to them. And then one day they wake up and all they are is a long run away from something. There's still a whole nother half of the journey. Fear is something that a lot of people run from. Lots of parents are feel fearful for their children. It's good to want the best for our children, to want to protect them. Running and keeping them from something is only half the journey, though. It might be a step towards protecting them, but it's only half the journey. There are a lot of Christians who are upset with our culture right now. We feel like there's an erasing of absolute truth. There's a permissiveness for sin, as long as it works for you, our culture seems to say. Don't call it sin, call it enjoyment, whatever the people want to do. There's an eroding of moral values and a cheapening of human life in our culture. It's good to see the problem, and it's it's good to avoid getting pulled into the culture by walking away from it, but removing yourself from our deteriorating culture is only half the journey. Now, some of us run from sin, and that's good. Don't let it just, but don't let it just be a run away from sin. It's only half the journey. And I've mentioned a half journey about several things now. There's all kinds of things we run from, but running from is not the posture of a Christian. The second half of the journey, or rather, the real journey is to move towards, to draw near to God. Don't live your life running from things. That only gets you so far. Live your life drawing near to God. And that's what we really need to talk about today, drawing near to God. That's the fourth posture that I can think of that we can journey with in life. Maybe you can think of other ways we travel, but I think we can uh, run towards the ungodly, We can become stuck and paralyzed. We can run from stuff, but we are called as Christians to draw near to God. The Christian, the church, is called to draw near to the Lord. We're not to draw near to fear. We're not to draw near to the issues of our times or even the people we love, although we should have deep relationships with the people we love. We should be able to face the issues of our times We should be able to deal with the challenges the world presents to us. We should be able to enjoy the blessings that God gives temporarily here on this earth. But in all of that, the direction of our journey should be to draw near to God. I know as a church, we draw near through worship, gathered worship. I know not everybody can come and gather for worship, but we worship wherever we are, knowing that we are not alone in our worship. There are Christians all around the world worshiping. We draw near to God through prayer, through the reading of the word, through fellowship. And when we talk about fellowship, it's not just people getting together who like each other. That's okay. But the church is to be a people who gather together, who are collectively working at journeying, journeying towards God, drawing near to God. 
That's what makes the church different from a veterans club or a sports team or a country club. When we fail to draw near to God, we're not any different from any other club. But when we gather as the people who have access to the creator, the sustainer of the universe, that makes all the difference. So, how do we draw near to God? Well, I mentioned already we draw near through worship and prayer and reading of the word and fellowship, and I'm sure there's other ways. But our text today says there's a few things in us and about us that allow us to draw near to God. We draw near to God with a sincere heart. That word sincere there means true, a true heart. The idea behind it is a commitment, a loyalty, sincere about who we are in Jesus and loyal to who we are in Jesus, committed to Him. There's going to be a whole lot of other things that we can put our attention into, but above all else, it is Christ. Ah, so many of us half-heartedly follow Jesus. We follow Jesus because, well, we think it's the right thing to do, but there's a lot of other things that maybe we put our better energy into. That's not commitment. We are to be devoted completely to Jesus. Here's a story about Julius Caesar. When he landed on the shores of Britain with his Roman legions, he went to conquer. And the local people, the Celts, uh, they were greatly outnumbered by the Celts. And he made a bold and decisive decision and a step to ensure the success of his military venture. He orders men, he ordered his men to march to the edge of the cliffs of Dover, and he commanded them to look down at the water below, and to their amazement they saw the ships that they had sailed across the English Channel in, and those ships were burning and were engulfed in fire. Julius Caesar had deliberately destroyed any possibility of retreat. The soldiers turned, and when they realized that they had no way back, The only thing left for them to do was to advance and conquer. And so they gained a new resolve. We can't go back. We must be successful. And they became totally committed to the endeavor. The question then I think for us is, is, have you left yourself a way out in life, an escape? As long as you have another option, you will struggle to commit to the effort of making the relationship of the church, of the Christian work. Can't let a little uh, escape hatch exist. We'll always be halfway committed and looking back at the escape hatch. Should I jump out now? Should I leave this church now? Should I go find another place? You know, people do that with their marriages. They leave the escape hatch of divorce. And when they do that, they're sometimes unwilling to do the deep, deep, deep hard work of making a marriage successful. Now, I realize some marriages have real problems, abuse and unfaithfulness. But a lot of people these days leave an escape hatch, and when things get a little rough, they jump in it, and they get out. We can't leave ourselves in escape hatch as Christians. We've got to be totally in it. Now, in the scripture, the heart, because it says a sincere heart, a committed heart, a loyal heart, the heart represents our inner life, and what is in our heart will flow out to our outer life. A sincere heart will want the inside and the outside to match. That makes it true. Matthew fifteen eighteen reads this, But the things that come out of the person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Meaning, if there's sinful stuff in your heart, it's going to come out in your outer life. You may try to hide them, but you ultimately can't. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. 
Do you guard your heart? And will you let the church help you? I know that is a challenge. Can you trust people in the church to help you to guard your heart? Another way we're told to draw near to God is, well, we're told first with a sincere heart, but then we're told to approach with the full assurance of faith. And the assurance that is talked about there speaks of confidence, of courage, being able to face fear and danger and uncertainty and go anyway. We are to have confidence in our faith and to walk with uh, courage in our faith. And that is how our trust is shaped in Jesus. The text also mentions that we are to uh, draw near with a cleansed heart and body, a sprinkled heart and a washed body. This is not as strange of an imagery as it might sound. I mean, to us today, it sounds a sprinkled heart and washed body. What does that mean? But in the to the Jewish people, those were images they were very familiar with. In the Old Testament, when Israel established their covenant with God, it began with washing with water and ended with sprinkled blood. Exodus 19.10 is the beginning of that covenant, and it goes like this, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. Get cleaned up, is essentially what God is telling them to do. And then you have the process where they hear the Ten Commandments. They hear the covenant law of God. They enter into it. And when it's all finished and when it's all confirmed at the end after this, you read in Exodus 24.8 this line. It says, Moses then took blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Washing and sprinkling were markers of the Old Testament covenant, and it's the same in the New. But now we are washed and sprinkled by the blood of Christ. And that is the part of Hebrews 10 that I have not read for you yet. I jumped you to the let us passages. I think a few years ago I delivered a sermon on this, and I called it the uh, vegetable, uh, the vegetable tasks, the let us If you like salads, I guess that's probably a terrible joke to try to squeeze in here. But I I directed us to the let us passages. Let us draw near. Let us hold unswervingly. Let us spur one another on. But you need to hear the reason any of us have any hope of drawing near. And that is our king and our captain, our high priest, Jesus. And so I want to back up just a little bit, still in Hebrews chapter 10, and read verses 19 all the way through 22 or at least the beginning of 22. So, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. You and I are called to draw near to God because of the power of Jesus. We can draw near because of his blood shed for us. We can draw near because he has opened a new and living way. We can draw near because Jesus is our high priest. He is our mediator between us and the Father. So you are not alone. You are not left to wrestle with your own sin. You are not left powerless. You are not meant to make your own way. Jesus is your way. Please receive him today. Let him be your Lord and Savior. Give your life to him. Believe in what Jesus did on the cross and declare him to be your Lord. And then you can join the great multitude of the church and draw near to God. 
So we can draw near to God first because of the redemptive work of Jesus. But how do we draw near to God as the church? I mentioned it already in worship, in accountability, in knowing that we will be infinitely better at drawing near to God together than on our own. God has designed spiritual life to work this way. There's a togetherness in the church. And so, I have one more story that will hopefully help you think about how we draw near to God together and why we're to draw near to God together. There's a story told of a man who had gone to church for several years, but suddenly stopped attending. His pastor dropped by one evening unannounced, and the man answered the door and invited him in. And of course, he knew why his pastor was there. He hadn't been going to church, so he knew that his pastor was going to talk to him about that. So they went and sat in two chairs in front of a roaring fire. Neither man said anything. After a few minutes, the pastor picked up the fire tongs and took one of the logs out of the fire and laid it on the hearth. Slowly, the flames died down on that log, and they flickered a few times before going out. They watched in silence as the log started to grow cold. After a while, the pastor once again picked up the fire tongs and put the smoldering log back with the other burning logs, and immediately it burst back into flame. The pastor got up and said, Well, I need to go now, but I've enjoyed our visit. The man rose too and said, I appreciate your message, Pastor. I'll be in church on Sunday. On your own, it is hard to keep the diligent fire of faith. Know today that you are the church. You're part of the church, and you need others to push you and encourage you. You are needed to fan the flames of faith in the hearts of your brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the church, and we need the church. Even, and I know some of our listeners are at home, and they're not able to get out. But even in those moments, though you may not see your brothers and sisters in Christ, you are still a part of the body of Christ, and we treasure your prayers, and we pray for you. You are not truly alone. You're needed. We thank you for being a part of the church. Lord, thank you for giving us the church that we, each believer, we are all the church together. Help us to live in unity. Help us to be together in mission. Lord, empower us all to move, uh, to, more, to be more able to draw near to you. And help us to aid our brothers and sisters in drawing near to you. And help us to reach out to those who feel alone in the church. And these are certainly times when people feel more alone than ever. Help us to be a people that whenever we gather, whenever, wherever we find ourselves in life, that we are a people who draw near to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.